Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, we're going to be joined by Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul is in Phoenix for the NBA All-Star Weekend festivities, and we'll catch up with Paul, talk about the Technology Summit, some of the other things related to All-Star Weekend. That's coming up in segment three. In segment four, Mark Fainerwada. He's ESPN's investigative reporter. He's co-author of the book Game of Shadows. Great book if you haven't had a chance to read it, really about the life and times of Barry Bonds in the last several years. Uh, Faina Rawada and co-author Lance Williams really brought this Balco story out a few years ago, and now it rears its ugly head again this week as Sports Illustrated outs Yankees third baseman Alex Rodriguez and they say that he used performance-enhancing drugs and tested positive for anabolic steroids in 2003. A-Rod came out this week and admitted to using performance-enhancing drugs. We'll get to that in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, this story with A-Rod has so many layers. I mean, obviously we learned that he cheated. He was really seen as the clean savior for Major League Baseball. That's gone. How his name got leaked when these tests were supposedly confidential tests is another story. But what I want to get to very quickly before we go to headlines, A-Rod did an interview in 2007 with 60 Minutes and Katie Couric, and he vehemently denied using performance-enhancing drugs. Listen. For the record, have you ever used steroids, human growth hormone, or any other performance-enhancing substance? No. Have you ever been tempted to use any of those things? No. Nathan, as we always say on this show, and as I say in my media training, the cover-up is worse than the crime. Here is yet another athlete who's covered up, and it's going to hurt him for the rest of his career. Well, I know you and I will debate this. I don't think it'll hurt him as bad as you think it will. Oh, I think it's going to hurt him. I think it's going to hurt Major League Baseball. And I think, as Lance Berkman and Kurt Schilling said this week, How do you believe anyone now? How do you believe anyone's stats? How do you tell the cheaters from the guys who are doing it clean? We're going to talk about that next. That's coming up in Sports Business Radio headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. 
passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for the Sports Business Radio headlines of the week, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, this may be the biggest headline of 2009, Alex Rodriguez told ESPN on Monday that he took performance-enhancing drugs while playing for the Texas Rangers during a three-year period beginning in 2001. Sports Illustrated initially broke the A-Rod story when the magazine reported on its website that A-Rod was among 104 names on a list of players who tested positive for steroids in 2003 when testing was intended to determine the extent of steroid use in baseball. The results weren't subject to discipline and were supposed to remain anonymous, but were seized by the government in 2004 and remain under seal. That didn't happen. A-Rod's name was leaked this week, and after this got out, Alex Rodriguez sat down with Peter Gammons from ESPN and came clean. And again, we just played the Katie Couric clip in segment one where he vehemently denied performance-enhancing drug use. When I arrived in Texas in 2001, uh, I felt uh, an enormous amount of pressure. I felt like I had all the weight of, of the world on top of me, and I needed to perform and perform at a high level every day. Um, back then, it was a different culture. Um, it was very loose. Uh, I was young. I was stupid. Um, I was naive. And, and I wanted to prove to everyone that you know, I was worth, um, you know, and being one of the greatest players uh, of, of, of all time. And uh, I, did, I did take a banned substance. And, um, you know, for that, uh, I'm very sorry and deeply regretful. And although it was a culture back then, and, uh, and in Major League Baseball overall, um, was very... I'm just, I just feel that, um, you know, I, I'm just sorry. I'm sorry for that time. I'm sorry to my fans. Uh, I'm sorry for my fans in Texas. It wasn't until then that I ever thought about substance uh, of any kind. Um, and since then, I've proved uh, to myself and to everyone that I don't need any of that. So you're saying that the time period was 2001, 2, and 3? That's pretty accurate, yes. Well, guess what? I don't buy that last bit for a minute. I have it on very good authority that Alex Rodriguez has used performance-enhancing drugs since 2003. Not going to go into great detail on this, but I have it on very good authority. And if you listen to this show, you know the type of people that I talk to on a regular basis that we have on this show. Pretty much go to the bank with, this is not the end of this story and I think that it's worse than Alex Rodriguez is making out. Now, Nathan, back in November of 2007, Alex Rodriguez signs a 10-year, $275 million contract with the Yankees. This is coming off of a $252 million contract previously, and he's got $30 million in incentives if he becomes the all-time home run leader and eclipses 762 home runs by Barry Bonds. If I'm the Yankees, if I'm the Steinbrenners, I go to Alex Rodriguez this week and Scott Boris, his agent, and I say, guess what? That $30 million, forget about it because it's not legitimate. See, and I think that by coming clean, semi-coming clean, if you will, 
he is going to be able to put this behind him to Not some New extent. York. To some extent, he will. All right, America is very, very forgiving. Jason Giambi, Andy Pettit, I know they're not at the same level, but he still has nine years left. Maybe it's in New York. Maybe it's somewhere else where people will slowly but surely forget about this. Barry Bonds goes out of his career, Mark McGuire, with, with a tarnished reputation at the end of the career. If A-Rod can prove to Yankee fans or whoever the fans are out there for the next eight, nine years that he can play ball without steroids and be clean, I think that eventually he might get into the Hall of Fame. Two things I'll say. One, as someone who media trains people, I think that he did the right thing by coming clean, even though I don't think he came completely clean. At least he fell on the sword and recognized the story instead of running like Bonds and Clemens has done. So that was good. We saw Michael Phelps do that last week. And then I just think that if he really rolls up his sleeves and he does public service announcements, he... Uh, gets out there and talks to kids about the damage that steroids can do. If he gets out and does that, then I'll agree with you. But I don't think he's going to do that. We haven't seen that from Alex Rodriguez so far in his career. If he does that, he could be a different kind of a guy. But I don't think that's him. Coming up in segment four, Mark Fainrawada. He's an investigative reporter for ESPN. He's been all over the Balco situation for the last several years. He's the co-author of the book Game of Shadows. He will join me. We'll be all over this story in segment four. Our next headline of the week, most weeks this would be headline number one. Brett Favre retires from the New York Jets. Nathan, is he really retired or is this going to be the second go-around where uh, he retires and unretires? Well, it depends on how much he cries at the retirement. I think that that'll be the uh, determination of whether he comes back. But in, in all honesty, I think, he's, I think he's finished. I would have liked to have seen him come back another year, but... I just don't think he's got it in him. I think there was some animosity on the Jets team with him, and I think that he needs to stop now Why he's not really ahead but more behind at this point. How much did he tarnish his image by coming back for one year with the Jets? They didn't make the playoffs when he could have retired with the Packers where he made his name. Well, here's the thing, though. We could say the same thing about Michael Jordan coming back and playing for the Wizards, but people still remember Michael Jordan playing for the Bulls. Very few people even recognize that he played for the Wizards. I imagine a couple years from now, that's how people will view Brett Favre. All right, our next headline, the economy is getting worse and worse by the week, and it is really seeping into the sports world. Nike executives said this week that they will cut as many as 1,400 of the company's 35,000 jobs worldwide. This according to the Portland Oregonian. An announcement will come this spring by the end of the company's financial year in late May. The layoffs would be Nike's first since 1998 and 99 when the company cut about 2,500 positions. Nathan, you know, we're seeing uh, Adidas and Reebok and Some of these other sports and apparel companies struggle. Nike is the leader in this category, and if they're laying off 1,400 people, it's not a good sign The Nike stock has tanked so far this year and really over the last six months. Yeah, but here's the thing. Nike had a successful 2008. Their stock was up at the end of the year, so they were successful in 2008. Like I heard some Nike executives say this week, this is a great opportunity to restructure. They haven't restructured in about 10 years. I think that this is more restructuring than a sign of the economy. Our next headline, keep your eye on Thursday, February 19th. That's the NBA trade deadline. And more than ever this year, it's about cutting player salaries. Several NBA owners who have seen their business portfolios decline sharply are cutting player payroll at all costs, and there could be some big names traded as a result. 
The Phoenix Suns, Memphis Grizzlies, and Sacramento Kings are all looking to cut player salaries this week as the owners of those teams have lost a considerable amount of money this year. There were reports out this week that the Maloof family, we've had them on the show before, they own the Sacramento Kings. They could be in line to lose $25 million from their investment in the Kings this season. So when you see your real estate portfolio tanking, your banking industry going, and your credit industry, these owners have other businesses. And when those are going bad, they're going to cut costs on their quote-unquote toys, which are their sports teams. Our last headline of the week, Major League Baseball and the NFL appear to have shielded themselves from financial harm from the expected Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing of Sirius XM Satellite Radio, which faces $175 million in debt payments by the end of February. This according to the New York Times this week. Both Major League Baseball and the NFL have clauses in their long-term contracts requiring that future Sirius XM payments be deposited into escrow accounts. The NFL in 2003 signed a seven-year, $220 million deal that required, required Sirius to put $85 million into escrow for the 2006-2009 rights payment. Major League Baseball, they have an 11-year, $650 million deal with uh, XM Satellite Radio. They signed that in 2004. So, Nathan, again, sign of the times, XM Sirius, they were the big thing a few years ago. Now they could be looking at uh, Chapter 11, another uh, industry going down the tube. Yeah, I unfortunately had to cancel my subscription to Sirius XM because of the economy. So uh, hopefully they don't go out of business altogether. All right, coming up next, Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. He's in Phoenix for NBA All-Star Weekend. He'll give us all the lowdown from the NBA All-Star Weekend. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. I'm joined by Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul is in Phoenix for NBA All-Star Weekend. Paul, thanks for joining us. I'm just working out ready for my slam dunk competition. Ooh, you've got some stiff competition there with uh, with Dwight Howard, but I'm glad you're in uh, in shape. So, Paul, you know, I know you're one of these guys that goes to All Star Weekend. You schmooze with a lot of people. Uh, if you're a business person, if you're from the league office, if you're from a team, if you're from a sponsor of the NBA, what's on your agenda this weekend? Well, you know, I think 
what these really serve as for the business side of the of the NBA is a, is a check-in point. And we're halfway through the season. Uh, you know, really a lot of the activation, a lot of the momentum for, you know, much of what's being done on the marketing side, you know, accelerates uh, using All-Star as the starting point and then on through the remainder of the season. So there's just a, a lot of check-in, um, you know, chance to, to see all the folks at the league level. Um, you know, all the partners are here, all the media partners are here, uh, all their all their international offices are here. And, uh, you know, over the course of the three days, um, you know, you can really sit down and get a lot of business done. And while there's, you know, certainly a lot of fun to be had, um, you know, for a lot of us here, it's it's really a, a working trip. Well, Paul, like you were saying, it really is a showcase for the NBA sponsors, uh, whether it's Adidas or, uh, you know, some of these other sponsors that they have that have such a global presence. What kind of a presence are you seeing in Phoenix? Like what sponsors from the NBA level are really catching your eye? Well, we've obviously got the you know the big players, whether it be you know Adidas, uh, EA, T-Mobile. Uh, you know, certainly have uh, you know very well-known presence presence here. There's a, a couple of, of new features here. One is a is kind of a free outdoor uh, fan festival that includes the the TNT studios and uh, some other activations from partners, which is is somewhat new and obviously somewhat. Uh, possible given the the nature of the weather down here in the desert um otherwise you know within the nba's uh, jam session you have uh, the new arizona convention center that is you know just kind of wall-to-wall basketball and and providing you know most if not all the nba partners with an opportunity to engage what is expected to be a crowd of about a hundred thousand uh visitors to that jam session over the course of the next uh, four or five days it's funny, I'm from Phoenix, I went to the NBA All-Star Game in 1995, the last time it was in Phoenix. Um, I've never been a big fan of All-Star Games, of any sport. I think it's more, a, you know, like I said, a showcase for the sponsors. Um, it's not for the real fan, but uh, there's some fun things taking place there. And, you know, I've found, Paul, I don't know what you find, that, that Saturday seems to be more compelling and more exciting for me to watch with the slam dunk and the three-point and some of the other competitions than the game itself, where they don't seem to be trying as hard. Well, I know Commissioner Stern does uh, download your weekly Sports Business Radio podcast. Yeah, so I don't right. want to do, do any disservice <laughs> to the league. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think Saturday is really the, the marquee event in the sense that it's uh, – you know, it's unique and different. Uh, these skills competitions, uh, you know, just provide sort of a, uh, a unique uh, format. Uh, they've added a horse competition this year, which actually is going to be done outside in that new fan uh, festival zone, which is kind of a neat execution. Um, and, you know, as you have uh, many times, Brian, you know, sat in these venues, which is largely filled with uh, uh, corporate partners and other, you know, friends of the league, um, you know, Dwight Howard's Superman dunk last year in New Orleans was really the the high point uh, in terms of seeing almost the uh, the suits become fans. And, and that's, you know, to me, I, I think it is important and, and something I always try to tell myself and, and oftentimes try to bring uh, with me a friend who's never attended these events. Because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I think there's a lot of people and certainly a lot of your listeners out there who would think it would be just – um, the coolest thing ever to attend some of these events, and I think all of us uh, that are in and around this business need to appreciate that it, you know, it's still all about the fans, and uh, you should appreciate the opportunity you have to be here and uh, make the most of it while you're here. I guess I'm just jaded. I'm joined by Paul. Swan- <laughs> <laughs> I'm joined by Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul, we saw with the Super Bowl a lot of the parties cut back 
in these tough economic times. I know NBA All-Star Weekend, a big time for parties, not only with the players, but with sponsors and people on the ground there in the host city. What are you seeing as far as uh, parties go? Uh, well, less. Uh, there certainly has been a pullback. Uh, you know, on Thursday night when we would typically see everything from eight ball charity tournaments to uh, celebrity uh, hosted events, uh, really down to probably the, the marquee event, the toughest ticket in town was the EA uh, event that they do uh, with a lot of the NBA players in attendance. Um, Friday, there's there was uh, some some charity events as well. The NBA Players Association still had their party, but you know the the, the players you would normally think would be down here doing parties, uh, particularly folks in brands like Nike, um, have decided that this is probably you know not the year to do it. And you know I think part of it is the economy. Part of it is you know we've had these two successive All Star games that were just very unique. Um, we had uh, Las Vegas, and then we had New Orleans. Uh, this is kind of the setup year, and of course next year we'll be in Dallas, which will be a, a really unique situation where for the first time ever the game will be played uh, in an outdoor facility, the new, uh, you know, the new stadium that will be the home to the Dallas Cowboys. So I think a lot of people are down here thinking that this is kind of the, uh, the time to take it easy with, uh, with next year being done on a, on a grand Texas scale. Paul, one of the signature events of the weekend, again, from the business side of things, is the Technology Summit. And the NBA has always done a really good job being kind of on the cutting edge of technology. Uh, how was that summit this year? Well, it was great. I mean, I, I think they do a, a really phenomenal job, you know, obviously leveraging a lot of the partners that they have, but also reaching out to uh, folks who have uh, a unique perspective on, on the role that technology plays, not only in sport, but, you know, broadly the, the role it plays in society. The uh, the one-on-one conversation this year, um, which is actually an off-the-record event, it was Nicholas Negroponte, the former head of the MIT Media Lab, who uh, wrote a, a, a really important book uh, many years ago called Being Digital. And if anybody's not read that book, uh, while it's, it's somewhat dated, I would encourage your listeners to go back and read that because I think Nicholas was one of those folks who really understood what, uh, what really was coming down the pike with the, with the digital age, which was the the move from um, from atoms to bits, as he called it in his book, and as we look around in the the changing landscape of media, the the demise of, uh, of printed newspapers, I think uh, you know Nicholas uh, was given credit in the in the forum for really uh, you know maybe seeing over the horizon a little bit farther than a lot of other people did. So you know it's a great chance to talk about issues, uh, engage, you know, key decision makers across a variety of different uh, industry sectors and, and kind of try to understand that, uh, you know, ultimately sports has uh, an important role to play in technology adoption. It's, it's one of the, you know, the kings of content. And I think the NBA, to their credit, has always understood that having that type of conversation this weekend uh, added a great deal of value for those of us who attend. So, last question. The game is in Phoenix, and the Suns have been making a lot of headlines this week. Their owner, Robert Sarver, who's been on my show here a few times, uh, he's having tough financial times, as are several NBA owners. The Maloof family may lose $25 million this year. Lots of talk about the Suns unloading some of their key players, including Amari Stoudemire, and doing so because of the big contracts, trying to trade them in exchange for expiring contracts. Seems to be a trend as we head towards the deadline next Thursday. Yeah, it's, I mean, I've, I've actually had a chance to talk to a couple of uh, players today who were remarking that, uh, you know, even in just their discussions with agents and general managers, that the, 
the strategies being employed by a lot of these teams is, is really more driven by economics than it is competitive balance. And, you know, I think it's the sign of the times. I mean, a lot of these teams, uh, you know, are are financed by owners who have taken a, an enormous hit in their day-to-day business operations. And uh, while many of them have operated these teams somewhat, and I would say somewhat as a hobby, uh, I think they recognize that uh, in this day and age, you have to look at everything that you're doing and, and making sure that you're, uh, you're, not, you're not putting too many uh, too many bottom lines and parentheses because there's only so much wealth that you can uh, lose before it's time to, uh, you know, maybe get out of the business of owning an NBA basketball team. And, and I think the, the fans here in Arizona are, are, are a little concerned that maybe they, they missed their window, but, uh, you know, still excited to have uh, the chance to host the NBA All-Stars and, uh, and hope maybe that if the economy gets better that uh, they'll be in a position to keep that team competitive for uh, years to come. Well, Paul, that's all the time we have. Thanks for joining us, and uh, enjoy your time in Phoenix for NBA All-Star Weekend. I appreciate it, Brian. Thanks. Thank you. Coming up next, Mark Fainruwada, ESPN's investigative reporter and the co-author of the game, A Game of Shadows. We're going to talk A-Rod. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Mark Fainrealwada. He's the co-author of the book Game of Shadows. He's also an investigative reporter for ESPN. Mark, thanks for joining me on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. It's my pleasure, Brian. So, Mark, you wrote this week on ESPN.com about an unforeseen series of events that brought Yankees third baseman Alex Rodriguez's positive steroid test to light. I wanted to have you on to talk about the series of events that led to this revelation. So you've been on the Balco story. You followed Barry Bonds for a number of years. How surprised were you that Alex Rodriguez's positive test for performance-enhancing drugs from 2003 was made public this week? Because, after all, the tests were supposed to be anonymous, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest surprise was that it was Alex Rodriguez. I mean, clearly we all knew, who'd been, you know, folks who'd been covering this story knew that there were 104 names out there, 104 positive tests. Um, but, you know, the list has been obviously tightly kept. Um, it's still under the litigation. And I think there was not necessarily a sense that it would come out. And, uh, you know, there wasn't uh, any sense necessarily that you would get it on, uh, on that list. I think people had heard plenty of rumors, but... You know, going from that to actually nailing down the story is a really difficult thing. And so I, I certainly commend Sports Illustrated. They did some remarkable reporting. 
Mark, take us back. You wrote in your story this week, August of 2002, the owners and the union agreed to a year of survey testing. The players were checked for steroids, but not identified if they showed positive. Explain to our audience how that process worked. And, um, you know, again, I think it's part of the story that we saw this week, how it unfolded. Sure. The, the process was a player would get tested. They obviously needed to prove each player was tested, so you needed to know who you were testing. So there had to be a name. But then the players were assigned a number, basically. And that number then was uh, basically put in one place when the player test with the player's uh, sample. Uh, they went to the lab who tested the samples. Um, and basically the information was kept separate. So one uh, lab was keeping the samples, and another place had all of the sort of testing information about who it belonged to. So you weren't really supposed to put the two together. And then ultimately after the test results were collected and everything in 2003, that material was supposed to be destroyed. Um, but basically the players' union, for the most part, I mean, the owners are responsible to some degree, but the players' union neglected to have the samples destroyed and the information destroyed soon enough. And then ultimately when Balco broke, the federal government saw an opportunity and said, hey, wait a minute, um, you know, there's a number of baseball players we're investigating related to Balco. Um, and those samples may be of use for our federal investigation. And ultimately, um, both because of this sort of strange turn of events and because the union really put up a fight and tried to keep the government from getting its hands on those, the government ended up going after all of the samples as opposed to just the results that related to uh, 10 baseball players who are connected to Balco. So, Mark, one of the big questions this week, you just mentioned there were 103 other positive tests how does A-Rod's name get leaked? Is this at the government level? What would be your best guess as to how his name got leaked? Well, you know, one of the things I learned from dealing with our stories on Balco and, and all of the guessing that went on about who provided us information, how we got our information is, uh, it's a pretty useless endeavor to try and guess where people got their information. And frankly, I think it's sort of beside the point. Um, you know, Sports Illustrated reported clearly a true story um, even more true when you look at A-Rod admitting his use in 2000 and 2001, and, you know, a lot of people had access to that material. Um, Sports Illustrated found four people, according to its story, who were willing to, to confirm it. And so, uh, you know, I wouldn't even venture to guess where they got the information. Do you think this puts an added strain on uh, Major League Baseball's relationship with the Players Union? Uh, again, you know, the Players Union thought that these were anonymous tests. They thought the names of the people participating in these tests would be protected. But now we see one of those names, and probably the most prominent name, has been outed. We see people like Kurt Schilling and other players coming out this week saying that they would like to see the other 103 names released from the list. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think it's really interesting. I mean, the, the one point is that, you know, initially really the, the people most responsible for the list coming out actually appear to be the union because they didn't step up and get this material destroyed. Um, so it's hard for the union to argue that MLB is responsible for this in any way, that the owners are. That said, when you see the commissioner coming out and telling USA Today that he's going to consider punishing A-Rod or that he's going to consider looking at the records and all of those things when, uh, you know, there was supposed to be no punishment from 2003, you certainly can see the possibility that this is going to create new levels of strain, you know, in a relationship that has a history of incredible strain. Mark, you've been around this for a long time. I mean, a number of years now because of the book that you wrote, Game of Shadows, and all the excellent reporting that you've done. How much is Major League Baseball Commissioner Bud Selig 
to blame for this because, you know, the cynic would say, look, if you're Alex Rodriguez and you're looking at a $275 million contract, if you're Roger Clemens and you're a middle-of-the-road pitcher and you're getting $25 million a year, if you're uh, Barry Bonds and you're offered a, a huge amount of money to play for the San Francisco Giants and you think you can cheat the system, you know, I saw a poll this week where the public was asked, would you have taken performance-enhancing drugs if you could have gotten paid this amount of money? And I was surprised that probably about 60% of the people said they would have taken performance-enhancing drugs if they knew the upside was that much money. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things I said from the start is that in many ways you can't completely blame the players. Um, As you know, the money is so incredibly great, the pressure intends to succeed, and the rewards for success so huge that, um, you know, the player, there's an understandable nature of the players deciding that they're going to do whatever they can. You know, that's not to absolve them of the responsibility of using, you know, illegal performance-enhancing substances or to resolve them of this responsibility basically of cheating the system. But this doesn't happen in a vacuum, clearly. I mean, you know, everybody has some level of responsibility. And, and frankly, the commissioner's office is certainly right there at the top. Um, you know, baseball has talked repeatedly about how now it has this great testing policy, about how it's really gotten out in front of this thing. But the reality of the circumstance is that baseball has perpetually sort of been uh, behind the curve on the issue, has been much more proactive or reactive, I should say, than proactive. And so, um, you know, they have, they have been pleading for this to go away for years and the reality is actually we're, we're right back in the middle of this thing in a huge way. Mark, I know you're not a lawyer, but again, you've been around this for a while. Would you think that someone like Alex Rodriguez or any one of the players from the 103 that may also have their name released, do you think they'd have any case legally uh, against the players union? How ironic would that be? Because those uh, tests were not destroyed like they were supposed to be. I mean, it's certainly an interesting question that can be raised. I mean, I know in the, in the context of the Bonds case, because, you know, Bonds, though he didn't test positive under Major League Baseball rule, uh, that testing in 2003, his sample was also found when the feds raided it, and it turns out he tested positive when the feds retested it using much more sort of elaborate testing, and he you know, was using these Balco drugs. So, uh, you know, people suggested the notion that maybe Bonds had a lawsuit in him against the union. I, I don't imagine it happening, but, you know, I, I've given up on sort of like being surprised by anything in this case. My guest is Mark Fainerawada. He's the co-author of the book Game of Shadows. He's also an investigative reporter for ESPN. Mark, uh, I know, again, I'm asking you to kind of predict the future, but you've been around this so much, and you probably have a better pulse on this than most people. What is the process that would have to be undertaken for the other 103 names to be released? Well, you know, it's a very good question. I I can't imagine a scenario in which... Major League Baseball or the Players Association agrees to release the other 103 names, nor can I imagine a scenario in which, uh, or an easy scenario to imagine, in which the federal government released the 103 names. So I think the likelihood of it happening is more in the way that the A-Rod sample comes positive, which is um, looking at the idea that, uh, you know, leaks happen, basically, and that, and that somehow... Um, somebody gets a hold of the list. Um, you know, obviously a lot of people have it, or a number of people have it. So, but but I don't see a scenario in which it gets released in some sort of formal fashion. Yeah, I mean, this brings up a really interesting question that I know you and your co-author Lance Williams were faced with: protecting your sources. And obviously, like you just mentioned, Sports Illustrated had four sources for this story. Those sources have those names, and you know, you wonder how many of 
How many of the other 103 names will be leaked? Alex Rodriguez, I'm sure, is the biggest name on the list, the one that gets the most attention. Maybe there won't be any more, but uh, it's just an interesting story when it comes to protecting your sources. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, you know it's not something you know we envisioned we would be in the scenario we were, Lance and myself, when we got into it. But it's obviously not something you take lightly. I mean, I, I don't you know I don't relish what we went through, and and I don't wish it upon anybody. Um, and yet, you know, it's it's not as, as Lance used to say when we were going through it. You know, it, it's not like we chose to be in that situation. The government decided to come after us, and you do what you're supposed to do, which is you make promises to people, and you know, you don't only keep those promises when things are good. And so, you know, I, I, I mean, look, it's unfortunate that that these stories rely in some cases upon anonymous sources providing information about that actual documents, but um, that's the reality, oftentimes, of this kind of reporting. And and uh, you know. We, we would be a, a far, far uh, less informed um, and antiquated kind of place if you, if you didn't have the ability to do this kind of reporting. The public would be a vastly less informed place. Well, absolutely. I mean, again, yourself and Lance and Selena Roberts this week and you know the people at Sports Illustrator who are on top of this story, it is your journalistic responsibility to uh, reveal this information if you have it. Mark, is Major League Baseball chasing their tail with all of this, or is the league eventually uh, going to, are the authorities eventually going to catch the the players, and and even more importantly, the distributors, or do you see this being a problem for years to come? You know, I'm I'm pretty cynical about this, unfortunately, and I I don't see a scenario in which baseball rids itself of performance-enhancing drugs, nor the NFL or any of the other leagues. I mean, you know, if you look at the Olympic testing, for example, it's, They've had a pretty stringent testing policy for years. Track and field athletes have faced significant amounts of things, people showing up on their doorstep at all hours, unannounced. Um, and yet, you know, many of the athletes connected to Balka were track and field athletes, and they were passing the test with flying colors. Um, you know, it is a, you know, as some people have said, an arms race in which the, the cheaters are well ahead of the testers, and the money um, uh, is such that, that you're going to see that, I think, all the time. There are too many drugs right now that can't be tested for. And I don't know if the will exists um, for, for the leagues to find a way, even if there were one, um, to, to rid the game of these kinds of drugs. Is there a double, double standard when it comes to performance-enhancing drugs? I'll give you, uh, uh, for instance, you know, Sean Merriman, linebacker for the San Diego Chargers a few years ago, suspended for performance-enhancing drug use. Uh, then later that season, he's elected to the Pro Bowl, and now no one really talks about Sean Merriman as a uh, performance enhancement drug user. With baseball, it's so different. I mean, A-Rod, Clemens, Bonds, uh, it seems like baseball is, is really looked at as more hallowed than maybe some of these other sports. Is there a double standard, do you think? I mean, I think there is. I think there's a few things at play. I mean, this this issue has, has arisen a lot over the last several years, you know, with the question basically being why is the NFL received a free pass when clearly guys are using a range of performance enhancing drugs to be able to compete at the level they are. I mean, these are not, you know, typical, you know, uh, human feats that are being accomplished on the football field, and the size and the speed of these guys is not normal. Um, I mean, I think there's several things at play. One is that the NFL has done a vastly better job at PR in dealing with this issue and convincing Congress that even if, even if the reality is not the case, that, that, that they are actually on top of this thing and they've been proactive about it. I think another thing is, you know, I do think that there is a sort of societal difference about the way people look at, at base, sports fans look at baseball versus basketball. I mean, I mean, baseball versus football. One of the things clearly is that statistics matter much more in baseball than they do in football. But I also think, 
you know, there's a sense still of for fans that, you know, that's what football players are need to do, that these are football players. We can't necessarily relate to the physical abilities of these guys. Where in baseball, I think there's a different sort of connection that fans have with baseball players, and it, it leads to a, a sort of different reaction. I mean, that said, I do think if you, you know, if, if names started to come out of some of the significant, you know, great, great NFL players um, and, and large numbers of them, um, you know, you might see a different sort of reaction. Mark, last question. Uh, Game of Shadows, tremendous book. Great work by you and Lance Williams. I know that HBO has the rights to the movie and that I believe Ron Shelton has signed on to direct it. What's the latest with that project? You know, it's really been an education for us. I mean, I know nothing about the movie industry, and I still feel like I know nothing about the movie <laughs> industry. Um, you know, it was really flattering that HBO wanted to buy the rights to the book. Incredibly flattering that they hired Ron Shelton to to write the screenplay and direct. And, and, you know, we've been in touch with them, and Ron has been in touch with us, and they're working on a script. And, you know, I, I hear that happens a lot, and stuff doesn't get made. So... We'll just have to wait and see, but it's it's exciting to watch them go through the process of trying to turn the book into a movie and figure out what makes sense to try and put on the screen. So, I mean, I'll I'll be uh, I'll be interested to see if it happens, and uh, I'm just sort of standing on the sidelines watching. I'll be interested to see who gets uh, cast for the parts in in that movie. Absolutely, absolutely. No, it's, it'll be a fascinating uh, look at some people. I mean, I think you know one of the things I I, I always I loved about doing this story was the characters are just amazing you know and i think you know people talk about bonds all the time but i always thought victor conti for example is the most fascinating character in this whole thing so um you know if, if this thing happens it'll be interesting to see people try to put him on the screen well and the one guy that i can't figure out i've done this show for five years now and the one guy in five years that i cannot figure out at all is greg anderson why would this guy sit in jail for barry bonds his wife just had a new baby when he went into prison I have no idea. Unless he's getting paid a ridiculous sum of money, I don't know why he would sit in jail for Barry Bonds. Well, I, I think, you know, you ask the same question a lot of people ask is what is the deal with him? And I, you know, I don't pretend to know him at all. I know some people who know him, and they will tell you it's not really about, about Barry. They will tell you that it's, it's actually, you know, about Greg just feeling like, you know, the government was not up front with him and that this was not part of the deal with him. And, um, you know, he feels like uh, he's obligated not to sort of talk about this. And, you know, I, I don't really get it myself. Uh, you know, I mean, this is, he spent 13 months in jail. He's going to spend some more time in jail during the trial if he refuses to testify again. And, you know, if the government really continues to play hardball, they've gone after his, his mother-in-law, they've gone after his wife, they could go after him for criminal contempt if they wanted to and, and try to get him to serve more jail time. So uh, it is a really interesting thing, and I don't, I don't know uh, that anybody but Greg Anderson could really provide the insights about what's happening. Interesting stuff. Mark Fainer-Awato, one of the best investigative reporters that we have in this country doing sports investigative reporting. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you can read all of his good stuff on uh, ESPN.com. Mark, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate the kind words. Thanks a lot. No problem. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is 
is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, the Louisiana Stadium and Exposition District, which is responsible for the Louisiana Superdome and the New Orleans Arena, is unlikely to have enough money to pay the NFL Saints and the NBA's Hornets next year. This according to the Baton Rouge Advocate. Doug Thornton, whose company operates the Superdome, this week told lawmakers that LSED is facing a $27.5 million shortfall, largely because of obligations to the teams and mounting debt. Now, if the state doesn't make payments to the teams, the NFL Saints and the NBA Hornets could leave New Orleans without penalty. Keep your eyes on that story. A lot of thank yous on our show this week. Mark Fainruwada, ESPN's investigative reporter and the co-author of A Game of Shadows. Great book if you haven't had a chance to read it. We talked about Alex Rodriguez. Paul Swangard joined us from Phoenix for NBA All-Star Weekend. Good to catch up with Paul. want to thank our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Plank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to sportsbusinessradio.com. Just click on the podcast page. We've got a Facebook page. Go to the Sports Business Radio blog. Learn how to become our Facebook friend. We've got friends from all over the world, and we'd love to have you as our friend. I'm Brian Berger. Have a terrific week, and we'll talk to you next weekend on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.